have a very, very special guest here in our Artsmith Studios today. He is very much, uh, you could call him a grandfather of Sin, really. He's a broadcaster, radio announcer, just an all-around fabulous guy. It's John Mazels. Welcome to the studio, John. Hi, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> all-around fabulous guy. Wow. I'm Okay, so is my head going to fit outside the door on the way out? <laughs> of course it is. Am I really in yeah. trouble here? Like, the door is fairly wide. Mm-hmm. The door is so much better than the door we had in 1973 mm. when I was here at 3ST. Mm. On the campus, it was um, everything here is so much more salubrious. Yeah, so we should give some context for our listeners. So John Mazels, he was um, in our sin office doing an interview for a radio project, which one of our fellow sinners is working on, and what's well, a book do you, project do you really? Mention her name. Yes. Yeah, so Rafael, who is hiding behind the microphones here, she is not keen to be on air today, but she's been she's working been very silent. She is, <laughs> but she's been working on a fabulous book called "The History of Student Radio in Australia." And uh, one of those studio student radio stations was Free ST, which uh, John, you were a founding member of. No, I wasn't a founding member. I was I was chief technical officer in my mm. year here, mm. so I was at RMIT in mm. um, 1973. Yeah. But student radio in Australia sort of started here at, mm. at the RMIT campus, and Free ST stands for Studio Two, which mm-hmm. came from Studio One, yeah. which originally goes back to about 1966. Mm-hmm. And a whole lot of people who were studying here did did stuff, created panels, you know, wanted to play radio. Um, out of that grew the movement. Eventually, they got a bit of space in one of the buildings, sort of on Swanson Street, mm-hmm. uh, a permanent station, and the the landline operation sort of grew, filtering around campus into the the CAF on Bowen Street, mm-hmm. into the jeans shop across the road. Yeah, you know, we mm-hmm. got very creative mm-hmm. at trying to find outlets. And this is in the days before anybody was on. FM radio or AM radio or any well, other well, sort of I radio. Think, forgive me if I'm wrong, but FM radio didn't actually exist at the time that you were doing Well, FM radio ST. existed, just nobody had a license. Oh, okay, right. And, and nobody, was, nobody was on air, yeah. um, except, you know, very, very experimentally. A lot of people were agitating for licenses. So mm. the, the people who were running 3ST mm. were sort of constantly sending letters to the Australian Broadcasting Control Board going, hello, we'd like a license. Can we have a license? Can we please, please, you know, we've got this radio station. Can we please have a license? Mm. And, you know, the, generally the response was... Thank you very much. The minister will uh, consider your application in time and, you know, sort of was all buried under the carpet. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that that sort of kept happening. Mm. When it came to a head was uh, just before the Whitlam government fell in 1975 when Mm. Moscas handed out these sort of 12 licences to stations around Australia. Mm. And one of those licences went to the RMIT. And the irony was... We believe that the reason it went to the RMIT was because the students had been agitating for the license, and it wasn't the students who got the license. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, he got the license. Though. Well, the license went to admin, and that eventually became uh, went on air as a thing called 3RMT-FM, which then morphed into 3RRR. So the original, the original thing behind 3RRR was actually coming out of the second studio at 3ST on mm. Swanson Street, mm. just, just here. But at the same time, um, there was a, a process of saying, all right, well, uh, we still want the voice for students and youth. 
And so when the opportunity came up to bid for a licence, which is the, the one that 3CR eventually got, but mm. at, at the beginning of 1975, when they announced that, we went, oh, 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 you know, we still want a radio licence. Mm. So we put together a group called uh, the Student Radio Association and went in as one of nine bidders for mm. this licence. And it was, oh, God, that was a really, really fearful process because mm. it was it was very, very strongly competitive. It was, it was like a courtroom hearing. Okay. It was, oh, and everybody was cross-examining everybody else. Mm. And it was, oh, it was lots of fun. So coming back to AM and FM, yeah. was there a, because I heard somewhere along the line that FM licenses were pretty expensive. Was that true or? Well, pretty expensive in, in, in what contra- way? In contrast to an AM license. No, mm. uh, in, in fact, mm, FM licenses are expensive now compared to AM licenses, but nobody is buying and selling AM licenses. I mean, okay. like the last FM licenses that, that went, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars mm. um, for some of the licenses, like um, the Nova licenses, mm-hmm. are very expensive. But community radio licenses are like zero cost. Mm. It's, it's not about the money. It's about actually proving that you can occupy the spectrum. Okay. Right, yeah. um, and produce programs and do good things and mm. be community oriented and uphold the law. Now, coming back to the history of 3ST, now Rafal in her research has found out that 3ST was actually the first studio radio student, student radio, radio station. station in Australia. There are lots of other community radio stations which claim to be the first, mm. but 3ST can proudly claim to be the first student radio station. We believe that to be the case and and always to have been the case. And Mm. what was very interesting is that um, when 3ST happened, it provided a model for other student radio operations. So at a time when you could only do stuff on landlines, you you could broadcast to yourself, basically. Mm. Uh, That was regarded as, okay, we'll start there and we'll see what else happens. So at least Mm. you could build the equipment and the studios and the skills and provide some creative outlets, you know, whether anybody was listening or not. Mm. But by the time, um, you know, by the time I was at um, 3ST, there was like five student radio stations operating in Melbourne mm-hmm. on, on campuses. And, and it was really exciting uh, because around about that time, uh, we started sort of linking them all up. We'd do broadcasts that would involve three of the student radio stations at lunchtime. Mm. Um, in, it encouraged some very interesting competitive outcomes. Moomba floats became extremely competitive because <laughs> suddenly everybody knew what was happening at the other campus. Before mm. that, it was like, oh, yeah, we knew the people at Caulfield Tech were building a, a Moomba float. Mm. But now we were actually talking to them while it was happening. And you know, all the things we accept about how media works now with the immediacy of community communication was really quite, oh, we're doing that, oh, oh. And seeing the outcomes was um, well, unexpected and wonderful and, and a contribution to, in fact, the, uh, the, the process of building floats. We are talking to John Mazels about uh, student radio here on Art Spitten. One thing I really, really would love to ask you, John, I mean, it's a pretty obvious question, but you look at the studios we have now, mm. what is the most striking difference between our new studios and the ones you had back in the day here at RMIT? 
um, the complete absence of spit and chewing gum and <laughs> sticky tape and you know, this is a very sophisticated operation mm. here. Whereas the, the stuff that we were doing in the 70s was, you know, we'd built it ourselves. Mm. Uh, and some of it was really good and some of it was lashed together with mm. bits of string. Literally, I mean, mm. it was lashed together with bits of string. And it was all like secondhand gear. We'd gone down to ABC auctions and we bought mm. a whole lot of tape recorders that, that they were getting rid of. And some of it worked and some of it didn't. But we got to fix it. We built our own uh, cartridge machine, so for mm. playing spots and, and ads and jingles and mm. stuff, uh, you know, hand-built or hand or modified from commercial radio station cast-me-downs. And so you, you look at, at this, this is very much a purpose-built uh, studio with, you know, red thing that says you're on air and a flashing mm. light outside. Oh, what a dream of having a flashing light outside. Yeah, luxury, lad. Tell her the kids of today and they won't believe it. And, it, you know, it was, it was very much like that. But it was also an incredibly experimental environment because we were responsible for, for building. So uh, it was not uncommon to have people working on the console at lunchtime. You know, you'd be on air doing a radio program. Hi, and we're just about to play this uh, this new track by Yes. No, we're not because the turntable's just gone down. Oh. And, and Well, we have that same problem but with computers. These days, yes. when the computer goes down, well, yeah, we didn't have computers, of course. Mm. It um, yes, it's very old, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> so you're making me feel like I'm so ancient. <laughs> it it was much more experimental, and we reveled in the fact that we could do the experimentation. And you know, we were pretty wild and pretty uncontrolled. And to some extent, it really didn't matter if somebody dropped a clangor. And we could do exciting things because it didn't matter. Mm. So you could you could go in on somebody who was reading the news. Mm. Uh, we did we did news We did the whole thing. It was really good formatted radio. Some really really solid programming. But you know, so you could go in on somebody who was reading the news and set fire <laughs> to their news copy. And uh, you know, this is one of these things I wouldn't really encourage you to do because alarms would go off. We didn't have smoke alarms. <laughs> I don't don't know that we even had sprinkler systems in those days. But if, if somebody and you could, if somebody was reading the news, and you just imagine. So I was sitting here saying, and in Swanson Street earlier today, an ambulance went past. We looked at it. It was white. And meanwhile, somebody has lit the bottom of what you're reading. And now you have to race. So you're trying to do this very serious news bulletin. And the ambulance is believed to be going down to Flinders Street and turning around and coming back. It was exciting news. Mm. Meanwhile, your piece of paper is literally burning up. And so now there's the race to see, can you finish the news without sounding like you're in panic before it's burnt so much you can't read the news anymore? Mm. That's the sort of thing that we did. Okay, that sounds like a really fun game, the kind of game, though, that today's no, you wouldn't, probably... You wouldn't do it today. You wouldn't do it. Today. Like, no, no, our like, staff definitely wouldn't allow they, that. They'll have a fit. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting you should do that. But you know, there of are other, not, no. there are other challenges. You know, like looking for Pokemon. Oh, good heavens! What's that under the console? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like we could use that. We could substitute the fire with a timer on a on a phone. Or yeah, you can you can do things. It's um, you know, or good. maybe get it up on a laptop on like a shared document and just delete stuff as the person's reading it out on air. Oh. So. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> if somebody's reading a shared document, that would be that would be today's equivalent. Hmm. We, we did a lot of other stuff. Uh, we terrorised the manager of the cafeteria on <laughs> campus um, by phoning her. So, you know, she'd pick up the phone thinking it was the Chico roll supplier or something. Mm -hmm. And it'd be us, you know, with a strange 
fake voice or something. Mm. Um, there was one Ormond week uh, in 1973 where we put the studio into one of the lifts in <laughs> this very building. In fact, you know, it's a lift that's I, I think Raphael's actually it. got a photo of that hidden away somewhere that she's <laughs> going to put in the book. So. We, we do, and it was... It was sufficiently unusual for things like that to happen that the TV stations would come out, you know. Oh, and in the 6 o'clock news tonight, RMIT students put studio into lift. Mm. Doors open, (laughs) people broadcasting. Wait, the entire studio? Well, you didn't need the entire studio. All you needed was... Two cart machines, because you could play all, all the tracks, or three cart machines, small mixer, microphone, and a phone, so you could talk back to the studio. And, you know, you could play all your music cuts and jingles and everything else from the studio inside the lift, uh, do interviews with people inside the lift if you wanted to, and you'd cross back to the studio for news breaks at the top of the hour. And reception was okay in the lift? Well, yeah, we, we worked with the lift provider, lift manufacturer, oh, okay. which is actually a local local manufacturer, yeah. to get wires out of the lift. There are wires, you know, like when you yeah. get in the lift, the door's shut, there's mm-hmm. still power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that comes through wires. Yes. This would be a very exciting thing for you to learn. Okay. Yeah, I, well, I, I use lifts all the time, and I've never, ever considered how they work. So, <laughs> It's not by wireless. Okay. Okay? So we... So I called up the uh, the lift company and said, you know, is this possible? Can we get some pairs out of the lift? And they went, oh, yeah. And, mm. you know, they, they thought it was pretty fascinating as well. Mm. And, you know, we got all the approvals, did this. And so for for the week, for Ormond Week, that was our stunt. We mm. were in the lift. And, you know, it was great. You press the button, you hear the music coming mm. down. And, you know, and the doors would open and there's somebody there. Uh, John, did, did people well, use the lift? Yeah. Really? And that was, that was the great thing because the lifts, lifts in this building are enormous. You, you can put a radio studio in there and still have enough room for, like, 15 people. I mean, it's a bit hard to take a panel and our computers all... I did say a small panel. You'll see the photo. Mm. It, was, okay. it was smaller than this, but enough. Mm. And that's all you need. You just need enough. Mm. People, people have done radio programs from telephone boxes. Oh, hang on. There's no telephone boxes anymore. Oh, they do. They do <laughs> exist. It's just that we don't use them because we've got our own telephone boxes in our pockets. Yeah. Really, yeah. Which can also access the internet and communicate with each other. You know, anyhow, um, John, one thing I'm really interested to know, because Marcy's sitting here behind a digital soundboard here, and yeah. Marcy does just about everything during the show. How difficult was it in the days of analogue equipment to do your own show with, say, the records and the tapes and all that? It's exactly the same. It's, it's absolutely, absolutely no different. I mean, mm. you, it's like if I said, how difficult would it be to use that thing there with the sliders and switches mm. and a couple of CD players? Mm. I mean, you're not going to think that's particularly strange. You've mm. got a computer sitting next to that, and you're playing tracks off the computer. You mm. play a CD, you could do that. You mm. bring in an M, you know, a, a USB stick with some more stuff on it, and you play off that. It's not hard. It's just the stuff you work with. Mm. There was more of it because there was two turntables, two turntables, five cartridge machines, and then there were tape recorders outside if you wanted to play something from out there and remote controls on everything. You just mm. hit a button on the console and it happened. Now, John, I do have does one. That, does that sound yes, like... Yes, uh, I actually have a no. question myself. Oh, yes, go on, Marcy. Sorry. Um, so just to clarify before we ask anything else, yeah. were you involved with, with, with the radio at, Mon- at Monash, Monash Radio? Yes, I was. Okay, that's interesting because I used to be a student there. Um, could you tell us a bit more about that, how you were involved What about you that? being a student at Monash? Yes. <laughs> oh, no, 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 not that. The, the Monash University radio station, so that was, uh, that was a bit of a dream. We knew the one existed here at RMIT and there was one at Caulfield Tech where I'd had some experience also been there a bit and um, sort of helped work on it 
and we put together and it was an open day project it was like a one day project to prove that it would work which is sort of a pretty gutsy thing because if you've got all you know, visitors coming onto the campus and it goes wrong, that would be sort of the end of everything. But we said, no, we, we can do this. And so we built the built the station for a one-day project and we said, right, we, we, want, uh, we want to build a permanent radio station here. And it turned out, as often happens, that there were actually two different people working on the same project at the same time. I didn't know. There was a, another guy named Brian Wise who uh, has been a long-time broadcaster on 3PBS. And Brian was also agitating for a landline radio station. So I, as, an, as a sort of an ex-Monash student, had been agitating for this. And, uh, and eventually the, the two processes converged. We discovered that, okay, we'd both been pushing for the same thing. We joined forces. And um, the student union said, yes, allocated a bit of space. And we built the, the first studio in like two small meeting rooms. Oh my gosh! In the in the basement of the union building, as you well do. Done. And when I say built, so this goes back to answering your your other question. If you look at this studio here, pretty much everything that we've got in here has been sort of bought off the shelf, and it's been put together. But it's been mm. bought off the shelf by uh, from manufacturers who make consoles and yeah. computers and screens and stuff like that. We actually, when we say we built the studio, it's like we built the console. We actually created it wiring up circuit boards and uh, getting all the components and putting it together, designing and building from scratch, including you know, the woodwork, the electronics, everything. And that was also very exciting. That's how a lot of us learnt our craft, by actually doing it. Hmm. Now, John, Fascinating. Yeah, like, that's, like, that's, that's, actually, is, yeah. that's actually like... Really cool. Yeah. Want to build a radio station? Call 1-800-EXPLODE-MY-HEAD. <laughs> and, and, you know, the reason we were doing this, because it was a lot of fun designing a building, and I learned a lot, but really I wanted to be a radio announcer. Uh, the fact that I was learning how to design and build things and how to be on a committee and how to be a chair of a radio station, which sort of eventually happened, and, and that all came out of the fact that really I, I wanted to be allowed to make programs. But before you could do that, you had to go and create the environment in which it was possible to to do the programs. Okay. Now, John Mazels, I've been saying this a lot, but one final question for you. <laughs> yes, you, Tom. <laughs> you are still working in the radio industry. You've seen huge changes throughout mm. the time you've been working. What do you see as the next big thing for community radio? Um, wow, that's the that's an, a massive question. Yeah, I'm sorry. I really put you on the a spot A massive there. question without, without notice. Look, <laughs> the next big thing, people keep saying... The medium is dead. Mm. People say, oh, it's going to become completely unrecognisable. People say FM is going to go away. People say a transmitted radio is going to go away. It's all going to be replaced by podcasts. It's all good. Ultimately, we're still going to have people who want to create content that is going to be sent somehow to people who will consume it. But, and we now have two ways of consuming it. It used to be that you had to listen to everything live. It was all live. It was over the air, bang, gone. You know, nobody even had a recorder. If, if you weren't listening, you missed it. It was never going to be replayed. These days we have podcasts where you, you can go and consume that content in an on-demand manner. Mm -hmm. um, somebody can come and listen to this broadcast again. You know, so you get the log tape and you edit it out and you put it up and you say, oh, you know, we, we talked to this dude in the studio and here's what he had to say, blah. <laughs> And you get to listen to that 
later at your leisure. It's a different way of consuming it, but it's still basically the same thing. We are mm. we are here talking about something that you know, we're all really passionate about mm. and hoping that we're communicating to somebody who is listening. One of the things that I have learned is that there is something about live radio. This is happening now. Hello, folks. Um, if you're not listening to a replay, it's two minutes to three o'clock on... Mm. Yeah. And... That is something that people do get excited about. And one of the most exciting things that ever happened to me in radio was on a community station in Sydney was when I did a, a jazz program and I played a track. And uh, three days later, a listener sent a note to the station manager saying, Look, I heard this track this guy played. It was a Japanese fusion group. You know, it was like really obscure. Mm. He said, I've got everything they've ever done. He said, and I can go and play that stuff any time I like, because it's all at home. Mm. But hearing somebody else play that track as part of a radio program made it so much more real, and I couldn't get out of the car. Mm. Wow. And like totally justified my Saturday afternoon. Why had I presented this program? Because I'd managed to communicate to, to one person. Do I see that changing? Actually, in my lifetime, which might finish in 10 minutes, I don't. Oh, we hope not. No, well, I hope not too, but I don't see that changing. Yeah. I, I think, you know, for every – hello, <laughs> listening on the end of this as we hope you are. We, mm. you know, we hope there's nobody actually not listening to this program. Now, what am I trying to say? We hope that we're not talking to nobody. We hope that we're talking to, to real people. Well, yeah. thank you very much for listening, and I hope this was sort of sufficiently interesting that you couldn't turn it off until we finish. Well, I, I certainly couldn't turn it off. I've enjoyed. Yeah, that's just because you didn't have a big enough hammer to hit me with. No, 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 that is not true. That 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 is blasphemous, quite frankly, John. No, no, seriously, we've enjoyed having you in the studio, and of course, this interview will be podcasted in full on the internet uh, after this show goes to air. Uh, And of course, Rafael's book, A History of Student Radio, is planning on being published uh, very, very soon. I understand. Is that right? Uh, yeah, and, and next year. Early, early next, next year. year. We're, we're being telegraphed year. early next year. <laughs> there we are. So um, anyhow, once more, John Mazels, it's been fabulous having you here in the Sin Studios. Tom, it's just, been, just, it's just been wonderful to be here, and thanks for letting me riff. It's been an absolute pleasure. I mean that sincerely. Okay. I don't often say that to people live on air, but oh. it really has been. Yes. <laughs> no, just it, throw it, money. It has been a wonderful experience. Like, you are quite the character, <laughs> like... Please Larger come back. Than life. Larger than life. Oh, God. I, so I rim my head so big now, I won't fit out <laughs> through the studio. So I'm going to go now. Sound effect, clip, 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 door slam.